0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley,
1: California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discuss, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Does not know the things that have happened these There in these days? He said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, is now the third day since these things happened. was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but he urged them strongly saying, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord.
0: It's great to be with you all. Thank you so much for coming today. Happy Easter. Glad you're here. Let's pray. Ask God for his help as we look at this incredible story. Uh, Father, I just pray that for Jesus' sake, you would do one thing this morning, you just help us see. Help us see, every one of us, Lord, what we need to see about Jesus. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak a better message than I ever could, and that every single one of us, no matter who we are or where we're coming from or where we're at with you, Lord, that each one of us would see. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever had something you were really looking forward to totally let you down? I'm just looking out at you and most of you are like, "Uh uh-huh. And uh, the couple of you where you're like, no, never. I guess the rest of us are just saying, just wait longer. Um, (laughs) Things we're really looking forward to that totally let us down. I wonder what your story would be. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing you're looking forward to, and you think, when I get this, it's going to change everything. It's going to give me a fresh start, a job change, a pay raise, a new season in life, a vacation. You get there, and then you go, it falls flat. It, it didn't satisfy you. It didn't zing your heart like you were hoping it would. Or sometimes it's, it's more painful than that. Sometimes it's a close relationship. Uh, someone... That was gonna be there for you in a certain way or be something to you. Maybe it was a child, maybe it's your parent, maybe it's a spouse, someone close lets you down. Hard stuff. We've all had things we hoped in let us down. You know what? Maybe it was religion. Maybe you went to church or you, or you tried God somehow and you felt like He let you down. Uh, you hoped in Him and it just it didn't happen. And sometimes when this happens enough, don't don't you get this sense where it's, you just get this hopeless sense where you're like, nothing matters anymore, who cares? A sad, hopeless disappointment. Uh, One thing I love about this story is we encounter two guys who feel just like that. A sad, hopeless disappointment. And what's amazing about this is they're feeling hopeless about Jesus. They wouldn't blame him for it. But in their minds at this point, he's the one who's let them down. They're going to say, we had hoped. And, uh, and what that language means is, we had but we don't anymore. Our hope is broken. High expectations, he let us down. But what's beautiful about the story is, um, even as they don't see the point anymore, they're disillusioned, they're leaving their church community, um, they don't even trust their own people anymore, they get to such a low place, the story doesn't end that way. The story ends with them having what they call burning hearts. Hearts just alive with fire, with meaning, with hope, with love. And so it's, a, it's a, an important question, isn't it? To, how do you go from sad hopelessness disappointed to burning hearts? And is that something that can actually happen for me and for you? And I think as I ask that question, you know, can it happen for you? Luke would say, absolutely can happen for you. That's why I wrote this. I wanted you to see what they saw. I want you to encounter Jesus the way they did. So we want to see what happens as we look through this text, and I think there's four main things I want to point out to you. One is what Luke would say is our main problem behind most of our sad hopelessness. Our main problem behind most of our sad hopelessness. Then we're kind of going to see this gradual solution in three parts, and so hopefully Jesus will let us see. Here we go. First, the problem. What's the problem behind so much of our sad hopelessness? Well, let's just jump into the story. Right at verse 13, we encounter these two guys who had followed Jesus, who knows how long, but at least for a good amount of time, and they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So it's about a seven-mile walk. And if you've been with us at all in church, or if you've studied through the, the gospel of Luke, you know the last week has been intense beyond words for these people. So they had walked with Jesus into Jerusalem and masses upon masses of people have been crowding around and they've been saying, you're the one, you're the king, change it all, take over, you're the king. The whole, the whole crowd is just swept up in Jesus and then the next few days, Jesus confronts religious leaders at the temple, and there's this tension because the crowds are high on him a little bit. The religious leaders want to kill him, and you, can just, you could cut the air with a knife. And then shockingly to these guys, Jesus is betrayed and arrested on Thursday night. And, and after this mess of unjust trials, by Friday afternoon the crowd has the same crowd that praises his name and says king him is now saying crucify him hang him up we don't want him and friday afternoon he's dead he's crucified and so it's the sabbath day the next day so they would have just rested and lay low and here sunday afternoon they're leaving because as they'll say what happened to their hopes they're gone i can't believe it happened this way but it was all a sham I tried Jesus, it didn't work. I tried God, it didn't happen. I had all my hopes that this was it, and now it's over. I just appreciate that the Bible tells us stories like this. Uh, later, it's going to say, they stood still looking sad. How do, you, how do you like that line? They stood still looking sad. Have you ever been so hopeless and so sad that it's like grabbed your, your posture Your body language, somebody asks you a question, you're kind of half there, because the other half of you is so hopeless and so sad. You've got this burden on your back, somebody, hey, what's up, you're just, you're not quite there because your hopes have been so broken, that's where these guys are but Luke lets us in on something they can't see, at least not at first. Verse 15, while they're walking and talking and discussing these things together, Jesus drew near and went with them. Now, it wouldn't be that strange for strangers to uh, come together and talk as they walked. Everybody walked back then, right? You don't have cars for a century. You gotta walk. Somebody else is walking. You glue together. You have conversations. That wouldn't be that weird. What is strange to us is, Verse 16, as Jesus comes to talk to them, what do they not recognize? They don't recognize that it's him. So Jesus says, hey, what's up? What are you guys talking about? This would kind of be like somebody asking you what's up on September twelfth, two 2001. What's new? What planet are you from? What cave have you been living in? Plains into buildings. What's up? That's how these guys answer Jesus. What do you mean, what's up? Look at verse 18. One of them, Cleopas, says to him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? Everybody saw this. The crowds praised him, then wanted him dead, and now everybody knows, hey, tomb's empty, we don't know what's going on. Everybody knows. You're the only one that doesn't know this. But Jesus, he's... He's working on him, isn't he? Because then he asks another question. That's what he does with us. What things? Look what they say about him to him. Are you grabbing this? Look what they say about him to him. Verse 19. He said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped... That he was the one to redeem Israel. Oh, they say he was at least a prophet. They say you never heard you never heard a man talk like this. You never heard you never heard truth about God like this. You never heard truth about life like this. You never heard like compassion and grace like this. And his deeds, you know, his enemies, none of them could deny his miracles. They could say, hey, Satan did it, or they could say this and that. Nobody could deny that he did massive miracles in front of thousands and thousands of people. He was, he was, there was nobody like him in what he did and what he said. And we had hoped. We had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the hope. He, we had hoped we'd found what life is about. But then they crucified him. And it's over. It's over. But I want you to see something. Who are they talking about? Jesus, who do they feel has let them down? Jesus, who are they talking to? Jesus, who can they not recognize? Jesus, there's irony here. There's irony here. They're telling Jesus about how Jesus let them down because they can't recognize Jesus. The only Jesus that's ever let anybody down is one you can't recognize. Verse 16, remember back to uh, their eyes were kept from recognizing him? Why can't they recognize him? Um, Some people say, hey, the resurrected body is different. He can do things pre-resurrected people can't do. And that's true, right? Or uh, there's the shock and awe of the totally unexpected. When you just know something can't happen, then it happens. It's like you can't even see it happen because you just know it can't happen. But there's something more than that here. Do you see verse 16? Their eyes were what? What's that word? kept from, recognize, from seeing him. In some way, there's something about them that they can't conquer to let them see. And maybe there's something about him. He's doing something intentionally. He's not letting them see yet. We're reminded here that Luke will say later in his, in his gospel and later in Acts, he'll say, Jesus appeared after his resurrection to his disciples over and over and over and over again. But here at the end of Luke, Luke just picks these kind of three episodes. And why does he pick these three out of the other, you know, 47? I made that number up. I don't know that there's 47. (laughs) Why does he pick these three? Well, it's an intentional teaching thing, right? He wants to communicate something to you. So he has chosen this story because he wants you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of these two disciples. He wants you to see what Jesus intentionally did with them so that they could see something new so that he can teach you the same thing. It's intentional. And here's the thing. One reason they can't see Jesus is a heart problem. One reason they can't see him is a heart problem. Later on in this passage, they describe how the ladies of their church community, what did they tell them that very morning? Tombs empty. Jesus is alive. Hey, look at 24 verse 10 just as a reminder of where they've been. Luke chapter 24 verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. These are trusted members of their community who have walked with them for a long time. They told them what happened, but look at the response. Verse eleven: These words seem to them what an idle tale. This isn't nice. What do they do with these the the witness of these trusted ladies? Y'all are silly. Just emotional. You're just trying to make, the, make it, make, you know, you're trying to find a silver lining in a terrible situation. It's ridiculous. That's what it means, an idle tale. It's ridiculous. Why would we trust you? They're slow to believe, right? Look, hadn't Jesus even talked about this before? Luke 18. Look at Luke 18, 31. It's before they go and get to Jerusalem, Luke 18, 31. See, we are going to Jerusalem. Everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. After flogging him, they'll kill him. And on the third day, what? He will rise. Have they heard this before? Yeah, but you know what? Later in the text, it'll say it was hidden from them. They couldn't see it. They couldn't get it. Here's Jesus' diagnosis to these guys later in the conversation. Look now back at Luke 24, verse 25. He loves these guys, and he loves us, but this is what he wants to say. Remember, he loves you. Verse 25, what's he say to them? To us. (laughs) Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's he say about their hearts? You're foolish. You don't really know what to pursue in life. You're looking for all these other things, for your hope, for your identity, for your meaning, for your future, you're looking everywhere else. You're foolish. And then he says, slow of heart to believe. It's kinda like you're stubborn and spiritually a little stupid. A little stupid. You're, you're not really taking into account the clear evidence that's right there. You're slow of heart to believe, and I want you to see this one more word that's really important. Verse 25, he said to them, well, foolish one, slow of heart to believe, what's that next word? All that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, we'd all love to hear this sermon, beginning with Moses, and what's that next word? All the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. All, 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 all. It's ironic. They're telling Jesus about how Jesus led them down because they can't recognize Jesus. And then he wants to explain all of what the prophets said about him. So let's just back up for a second. Did these guys believe in Jesus to some extent? Yeah. Yeah. They followed him. But did they see the whole picture of who he was? No. And that's the point. That's why they're sad and hopeless. They have an incomplete, limited view of Jesus, a truncated view of Jesus, a Frankenstein view of Jesus, not put together together, correctly, they don't see the whole Jesus. They don't get the real thing because if you saw the whole Jesus, your heart would burn. If you saw the whole thing and all that he is, if you saw everything about him. So I think Luke is saying that the main problem behind our sad hopelessness is we don't see the whole Jesus, even though he might be there walking right next to us. All the evidence is right there. We don't see that he's the one deserving of our hope. I think it's an easy problem for us today. It'd be be fun, it'd be interesting to sit and talk together, each one individually, about what you believe about Jesus. I bet almost none of you would say, I don't think he existed in any way, shape, or form. You probably all believe something about Jesus. And I, I wonder, have you ever kind of discerned that about yourself? What do you believe about Jesus? It's a very common thing for some people to say, well, I think he's a good teacher, Or I think he was a a special prophet. You might even have like the theological terms, right? Oh, he's the son of God. But do you see him as the one who can satisfy your heart? Do you see him as the one that you should build your entire life upon? Do you see him as being the meaning of life? The only one who can hold your hopes Because if you don't see him in that way, you're seeing a partial Jesus, an incomplete Jesus. And that is at the root cause of so much of our sad hopelessness. We don't see the whole Jesus. And Jesus is so kind, he wants us to see he wants us to see. So now there's three things I think Jesus moves his disciples towards. Number one, you need to see resurrection. See resurrection. His disciples are living in a story with no resurrection, right? He's dead, and it's over. Part of this is they had such, an, um, such a belief at their day and age that the Christ would come and have instant victory, When he comes, instant, complete, political, freedom, and victory. It'll be instant all the way. They didn't have any concept of a Christ being shamed and dying on a cross. And that's why when the cross happened, what happened to their hopes? It's over. Because they could not see or conceive of a Christ who dies. And so therefore, when he dies, he can't be the Christ. They saw him only partially and so since they can't conceive of him dying in this way then of course they can't conceive of him rising they don't see life with a resurrection how many agree how many of you would agree with me on this point life with no resurrection is a sad hopeless life if you don't have resurrection in your story you have a sad hopeless life even if you're living high right now, if, if you got great money and, you're, and cute kids and an, and an awesome spouse and things are going well for you and, and you're like, hey, I'm cool right now, okay? What's going to happen? What in this life will you not lose at some point and in some way? And you know, as I look out on the crowd at some of the more mature folks, the more elderly folks who are going, yeah, that's right. Can't you feel it? Can't you feel it? You're going you're gonna to lose it all. If death is the end, what do you really have to be hopeful about, folks? This is all you have. You know, you begin to think here about how you view the world. If you come from like a materialistic point of view where you're just, what? There's, there's, there's no God, maybe, and then so you're just um, a random science experiment that went strangely wonderful for a while um, and, and, and here you are and um, the things that you find meaningful, you, those are just chemistry equations for you and then when you die, what happens? The abyss of nothing. What hope do you have in this life? It's just, you know, try to have fun. That's all you have. Sad, hopeless, Think of justice. Think of the suffering and the pain. If this is as good as it ever gets, this world, these experiences, if that's all you have to look forward to, isn't it just a plane crash? There's no hope. But what if, what if there's really a resurrection? What if death is just a door for you? What if there will be a day when because Jesus actually rose from the dead, you will actually rise from the dead and it will be you in a perfect, real, true, actual, glorified body on a new earth to be with God's people and God himself forever and ever. Amen. Is there hope in that world? Is there joy in that world, even in the midst of pain and loss? Is there something to look to? And doesn't it give new meaning to this life? This life is now as bad as it will ever get. And the way we live this life affects the experience of the next life. Oh, there's meaning that we can't even fathom. We have to live in a story with resurrection. And Jesus is going to show them, right? As we heard in the story, when he breaks the bread, what do they see? He's alive. He rose from the dead. And that is the ground for us believing that we, all who trust in him, will follow in his wake. We will rise from the dead. You need to see resurrection. Do you see your life through that lens? Resurrection. There's going to be a day when you stand before God. And there's the promise that all of God's people will rise as Jesus has risen. I want you to see just how honest this story is. Do, do you believe in a literal resurrection? Can you trust this, this gospel account? There's a, have, has anybody ever heard of the gospel of Peter? You kind of have to be a gospel nerd to know about that. Um, it was written about 100 years later. And so the, the first problem with the gospel of Peter is Peter would have to be like 200 years to write it, 200 years old, okay? Okay. But in the Gospel of Peter, when it talks about Jesus' resurrection, um, it says that the angels' heads reached to heaven. Let's go ahead and view that one for me. Okay? And even better than that, Jesus' head reaches beyond the heavens. What does that sound like to you? That's myth. Okay? That's myth. That's why it's a false gospel. It's not accepted by the church. Does, does, do Matthew, Mark, and Luke read like that to you? Jesus comes in such a normal way. He's a guy walking along the road. And the, who are the first witnesses to the resurrection? Women. That's scandalous because their witness wasn't even accepted in court at that time. If you're going to write a fake story, why would you have women being the first witnesses to the most ultimate event of your, of your story? No, it's honest. And not only that, the disciples, when Jesus comes, when Jesus rises from the dead, are they all like, yes, we believe. We were just waiting. It was as you says, O Lord. What does it show about the disciples? Weak, clueless, silly, slow of heart, slow to believe. It's honest. It's honest. Jesus rose from the dead. You can trust it. You can trust it. He's alive. So you need to see resurrection. Second thing you need to see to move from sad hopelessness to hearts that burn, verse 20. See redemption. See redemption. Look at verse 20. They're they're talking about the story, what happened to Jesus. Don't you know, our chief priests and rulers delivered Jesus to be condemned to death and crucified him. And look at the next words, okay? Crucified him, verse 21. What's the next word? But, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They crucified him, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. In their minds, the crucifixion meant he could not be the one to redeem Israel. And those of you who have been Christians for a little bit, you're kind of like, why are you chuckling ironically? They think his crucifixion meant he could not be the one to redeem Israel. We know the secret. His crucifixion was the way he redeemed Israel. That's how he redeemed us. What's it mean to redeem? What's it mean to redeem? It's to buy out of slavery. To buy someone out of slavery, it's to set someone free. And one reason the, the disciples stumbled on Jesus' crucifixion is they could only see like a, a surface level redemption as their need. Uh, so what nation was Israel under? You remember? The Roman Empire. How kind, generous, you know, beneficent were they? They were, they were terrible, right? Um, they were, Israel was under slavery nearly to Rome. And so, when they saw Jesus being the one to redeem, what are they hoping for? Get us out from under Rome. Save us. Set us free. Rem- that reminds me of me. I wonder if that reminds you of you. What do you look to Jesus for, usually? Change my job situation. Save me from this jerk of a person in my life. I should have gone to this side. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, help me with this sickness problem what do we tend to, to look for redemption from our circumstances and then when Jesus doesn't come through on those prayers help me with this save me from that we think you weren't the one to redeem I can't hope in you That's what happened with these guys. You didn't save us from Rome. You can't be the one to redeem. And they don't see their deeper need for a deeper redemption. What's your true slavery problem? Do you admit that you have one? Do you need to be redeemed? Are you a slave who needs to be redeemed? What's your true slavery problem? You can say, I'm not a slave to anything. I'm free. I do what I want. The Bible calls this kind of slavery sin. Have you heard that word? Sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It looks at God and says, I don't want you, I don't trust you, I don't want to live for you, I don't like what you say, move out the way, I'm going to be in charge. It's a rebellion against God, and it's also like an addiction. You ever had a friend with an addiction? And then maybe they finally come around to knowing, this is not good for me. you got to stop, right? And then what comes out inevitably with an addiction? you got to stop. What? I, I can't. I don't want this, but I want it. I can't get out. What, what is that, folks? That's slavery of the highest order. Sin is slavery. Sin is like an idol addiction. An idol addiction. You might say, I don't have any idols. I don't got any statues. I, I bow to. and I don't make candles. I'm burning at night. Oh, honey, if that's all you think of idolatry. An idol is anything that you put in God's place. Anything other than God that you look to to give you what only God can give. An idol is anything that you're looking to for meaning in life other than God. An idol is anything you're looking to for truth and purpose other than God. An idol is anything you're looking to for um, security, ultimate joy other than God. The thing you live for most, that's what you actually worship. And if it's not God, what is it? An idol And you think of the people in your life that you live to please. Think of the status that you would die to accomplish, to to gain. Think of this thing that if you just had, you'd finally be okay. If I just had that relationship, if I just made it to to this standing, this setup, I'd finally be. That's worship, folks. And you live for it and your money goes to it and your mind is around it and your heart is wrapped around it and you're worshiping it. And you need to be set free. You need to be set free because you are designed to find your whole self, everything your heart needs in the God who made you. So the thing about sin, there's a slavery aspect. There's also a criminal aspect. We're doing evil. We're not loving God. We're not loving others. We're breaking commands. We can't get out. We need to be set free. And why did Jesus die on the cross? Now we see it. To set you free. To set you free from, first of all, the penalty of sin. Right? I haven't loved God the way I should. I have not loved my neighbor the way I should. I deserve justice. From God, the judge of the universe for how I have demeaned him and demeaned others. And Jesus took my place and paid my debt and took the punishment I deserve for me so that I could be set free from that penalty. He earned my forgiveness. But not only that, for all those who trust themselves to him, he will set you free from that idle addiction. Some of you know that. You know that. You used to live for this or that, and it ruined you. It destroyed you. It wasn't enough, and you have met Jesus, and now you go, oh, yeah. And I know we're not perfect in it, right? We still have relapses. We still go back to that old stuff. But in general, we're like, Jesus has set me free. We sang that hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. He's redeemed us through the cross. If you see that, your heart will burn for him. Your heart will burn. He set you free to be forgiven, to know him and enjoy him forever. So the main cause, we don't see the whole Jesus who he is, what he's done. That's the cause of our sad hopelessness ultimately. And the way to move forward is to see him and his resurrection, he's alive. And to see his redemption, he sets us free. Finally, it's to see his reorientation. One of my favorite movies when I was younger was The Karate Kid. Anybody see the 80s version of The Karate Kid? Thank you. Yeah, somebody just did it for me, right? Come on, come on, right here, okay. Okay. And uh, this is embarrassing, but I'll go ahead and be vulnerable because, um, so you know, there's like a soundtrack of that whole movie. He's in that old, stupid, um, what's the car we all used to drive? The long wooden sides, a station wagon, thank you. He's in a station wagon, driving with his mom right to California, and there's this music playing, and then he meets, uh... What's her name? Elizabeth Shue, the actress. Oh, and there's the music playing, and there's the bad guys, and there's the music playing, but it was all this epic drama about this guy, right? And the music's playing, and, and what's the story about? It's about him and conquering his enemies, and there's the, there's the love interest, and there's the fight at the end, and there's the music when you win, and then everybody's like, yeah. And, um, and this is so juvenile of me. I used to think life was like that about me. I used to think life was a movie about me. And there's a soundtrack. You know, we, remember cassette tapes? Anybody know what those are? Anybody <laughs> under 30? You're probably are like, well, okay. Some of you remember. Anybody remember 8-track cassettes? Because then you'll be like, hmm. You're old, right? <laughs> cassette tapes, did anybody make a soundtrack and give it to a friend? You know, you, could do, you listen to the radio and you hit play and record at the same time. <laughs> did you get it? Did you get it? And you'd send it off, and you'd listen to it, and you could feel the drama of your life. And it was the soundtrack of the life because the movie was about you and your epicness. And many of you still live like the movie's about you. As I get older, I realize I'm not very epic at all, very non-epic, unepic. And as I meet Jesus, I realize I don't want the movie to be about me. That's a sad, hopeless movie. It's a sad, hopeless movie. Look what Jesus says. It sounds real theological, and it is. But look what Jesus says in verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? himself. Let me, let me back this bus up just a little bit. The Bible is the story of history and where it's going. The Bible is the true story of the world. You learn about God and what he's like and who he is. And you learn about the world he has made and what it's for. And you learn about humanity and how we're designed and how we're supposed to live. And you learn about the problem we have because of our rebellion against him. And you learn about God's grace and how he's going to buy us back. And you learn about how he's done that through Jesus Christ and how one day Jesus is going to return and renew the world. The Bible is the true story of the world. And Jesus just said this, the Bible is about me, that's what Jesus says. It's about me, which means what? What's the true story of the world about? Jesus. Who's the movie about? Jesus. It's about Jesus. And there's a deep irony here. You know, Jesus will often say, if you really want to live, what do you need to do? Some of you can tell me. If you really want to live, what do you need to do? Die. Die. If you really want to live, you need to die. You guys, a movie about you, the story about you, and and how you feel determines what's right and wrong, and how you feel determines what you should be and do about and and live for. If the movie's about you, first of all, it's not a true story. And second, it won't meet your hopes. It will crash and burn. It won't work. And so there's a dying there when you become a Christian, because you say, you know what? The movie shouldn't be about me. I don't want it to be about me. I'm, I wrote a terrible movie. I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting others. I'm denying what life is all about. Enough with that movie. I'm dying. And then what do we say? We, we, we submit, we surrender to the story of the world, which is about who? Jesus. Jesus. And man, I, you know, you're tempted to... Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus really tempts preachers here with this line, because he said, do you see that? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them in the scriptures, all things concerning himself. So you know what I could do right now, right? could be like, turn to Genesis. And we could talk about everything about Jesus in Genesis. And I'd be like, okay, Exodus. We could talk about everything about Jesus in Exodus. And time for Leviticus. How much, you guys can wait till, you got a couple hours, right? Um, and, then, and then Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. The, oh man, we haven't even made it to the Psalms yet. And then and then and then Isaiah and then true story. Go read your Bible. Go read your Bible. Come on, it's okay if you haven't read it in a long time. Go read your Bible and look for Jesus. And look for Jesus and you'll see. The whole history of Israel, the whole story of the world, the whole thing is going. He's coming. He's coming. Look at him. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then finally you get to the gospels. He's here. He's here. And then you get to the epistles. This is what it means to know him. And he's coming again. He's coming again. It's all about Jesus. If your story gets reoriented to that, your heart will burn. I found what I want to live for. I found who I want to live for. It's him. It's him. So the disciples here, they listen to Jesus talk as they're walking, and they say, stay with us, man. We want to hear more. This is the most fantastic walk through the Bible the world has seen uh, on this walk. Stay with us. And he plays like he's going to go on. I think the whole thing is a teaching lesson for them, isn't it? He says, all right, I'll stay. And then he breaks bread, and they they have this lightning flash in their brains. And what has Jesus allowed them to do? See him. But they saw him as he showed them himself in the pages of the Bible. I hope you can see him, the whole him, the Son of God who took on flesh, died on the cross, rose again, he's gonna come back. I hope you can see him, his resurrection, his redemption, and be reoriented to him so that you find, in place of a sad hopelessness about life, you found the foundation of a burning heart that we wanna live. For him let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you so much that you have sent your son we thank you that you teach us and you reveal to us who Jesus is and what he's done and I pray Lord Jesus that just as you did that for your disciples you would do that for each one of us here today that we would see who you are Um, we would see the reality of your resurrection and what it means. We would see the reality of your redemption through the cross and that we would be reoriented uh, to burn for you, the only one worthy of our deepest hopes and dreams and joys. Uh, We love you. We thank you for what you've done. We're so full of praise to you for your resurrection. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.